Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. It's our uh, Scripture Study podcast. If you're listening, videocast. I'm not sure if that's a word if you're watching on <laughs> You made YouTube. it one. Yeah. It's fine. Whatever it is, this is our, um, it's our Scripture Study class. Welcome to Institute, Seminary, whatever, and uh, learning the New Testament this year. We go through, we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum, and we point out things we think that you uh, don't want to miss and things that might be helpful in teaching or having a discussion or just in your own, you know, personal study, whichever way that you like to study scripture, we're here to hopefully help you out. We are doing first and second Thessalonians today. We're in the second half of the New Testament. It was cute the other day, Jack, when I talked to him, he was just like, okay, help me understand again, the second half of the New Testament, what is actually going on? You know, okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right, are, uh, that's the biography of Jesus, essentially. Then Acts is a part two, continuation. It's a storybook. Then the rest of the New Testament are these letters, most of them written by Paul, at least the ones we're in right now. Um, all The places where he established um, little branches of the church, places that he visited, places that he's trying to encourage in their faith. Remember this first century of Christianity, it's it's rough. There's a lot of persecution going on. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of argument. Christianity is this new thing, and you've got Jewish converts, and you've got um, pagan converts, and we're just, it's just a, it's kind of a really exciting mess is what's going on, and these letters are addressing the saints and encouraging the saints, and they were read in churches and passed around and, and passed down, and we still read them for encouragement in our own faith. We're finding out that we're not much different. Humanity hasn't changed very much. Maybe a little bit of the culture has changed, but Man, the human spirit and soul hasn't changed so much. So we can find a lot of um, advantage and increase in faith and just that encouragement in reading the letters today, too. So this is written to a city called Thessalonica, (laughs) which everybody wants to go to someday, um, where Paul had visited. And then he is writing this letter to them. You'll find out in the letter, you really wish he could get back to him, but he didn't... um, have a have a chance to there's two and they get written right after each other so he writes the one sends timothy who's his missionary companion because he can't make it there to find out hey go find out how everything's going go like make sure everybody's doing well and then when he comes back with a report paul writes the second letter based off of kind of what he heard and one they're dealing with a lot of oh we have our tippins so this is where you're going to get a lot of this information uh, these you can get at Deseret Book. I think you can still get them for the New Testament. You'll have to go and check online or in the stores. And these are little papers that you slide in. And these are kind of like a, an intro to what's going on in the book. P.S. Next week, we will talk about all of the Book of Mormon goodies. Like the pre-sale for those is going to start um, next week. And so we will talk about that when we film that video, including the tippins. I just saw them for the Book of Mormon. And they're so good. Oh, 
Like I, I thought, know, I, I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's hard because we have to finish the New Testament. But <laughs> yeah. you start seeing the Book of Mormon stuff come, and you're, you're just like, like oh. ah, like the Tippins. I really like, like I like flip through them one at a time. I was showing all the kids. So. You made them. You love them. <laughs> I, I made them. Like... them. So we'll talk about those next week. But um, this is the these are the New Testament ones, and it kind of tells you when it was written and to who and what's the situation going on. And then also, here's some highlights from it and a whole blank back where you can write, oh, every time I come back to this book, I don't want to forget this verse or this chunk of section or chunk of verses or, you know, <laughs> chunk or whatever. Or section. Yeah, whatever fine. you want to call it. it. Um, anyways, this city that he writes to, two of the things that they're dealing with, one is intense persecution. And you'll see when you read the letter, it's so awesome where Paul just says, our Lord was persecuted. Mm-hmm. And so as you experience persecution, you are becoming a part of his story. He became king of kings by being crowned with a crown of thorns. And so as you experience persecution, you are, you, that the persecution of Jesus is, is what changed the world. And he's saying your persecution will have a chance to change the world too. So there's a lot of encouragement for people dealing with persecution. Another thing that's pretty unique to Thessalonians in this particular letter of Paul is they are thinking a lot about the second coming. And it seems like something that's happening there is there are people who are telling everybody, even kind of forging letters from Paul to say, the end times have already come. Like it's here, we're having it. The second coming is practically tomorrow. Is And, and everybody is kind of freaking out about <laughs> that, you know, that it's coming. And Paul addresses the second coming and addresses the fact that they don't have to... Uh, freak out. And he's going to teach them about the second coming. And he's going to kind of put their minds at ease, which is going to be our first little section in just a second. But then the rest of the letter, we kind of are calling this title, but until then, he's going to kind of put at ease for him for a second to say, it's not happening tomorrow. (laughs) It is going to happen. So you can settle down. But one day it will happen either with him coming or with you dying, (laughs) whichever one happens first. And until that day, it's not tomorrow, but until then, let's talk about some of the things that we can do to take advantage of our lives here, to take advantage of the time that we have on this earth. So that's sort of what where we're going to go with and these letters. Don't you love that sometimes there's moments, I feel like in all these letters, that it just like you realize that the human race wasn't very different back then as it is right now. Like, isn't it so funny that... I feel like we react to the same way. Like the majority of people we know react the same way when we hear about the second coming as they did. Oh, and 100%. So then don't you love that? It's just like, oh, wait, look, we can read this letter. It's so applicable. It's to us, yeah. right? We did. Like, okay, sure. Right. Even our very first section is called Be Not Shaken. These are some of the words that Paul's going to use. And we were saying before we started that why if you said, name one of the signs of the second coming. First one. Earthquake. Earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like it's like, so it's interesting that he's going to use It's like these. those are like, like synonyms in my head. Second coming, earthquake. Right. It just goes right next to and each other. And it's crazy because, yes, there are some of those things we talk about, but why do we go to words like disaster and fear? And sometimes people will say, when we say the second coming, oh, I'm not ready for that to happen. And, you're, and you almost want to follow up and say, why? Like, what are you not ready? Like, I'm afraid of it. I, I don't... I don't I don't want it to happen. I, I just, you know. Well, and if the only words you're thinking of 
in your head are earthquake, then of course, like I'm gonna say that too. I never want an earthquake to come. Right. You know? Like, like, oh, like oh earthquake, yeah. fireball. Like, <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, uh, death. No one's disease. gonna hope that's tomorrow. Exactly, right? Um, so there's a lot of those things that make us, and just wait till we get to the book of Revelation. There's gonna be so much fun. This is almost part one of second Sneak coming peek. talk. Yeah. We're gonna talk a lot about the, the second coming there, but Paul really starts to teach about it here. And if you go to this, these first verses, and we're going to do 2 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians um, in here. And let's start in, uh, we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5. We'll get back to that verse where he says, be not shaken. That's in, sec- in the second letter. But let's start in that first th- letter, 1 Thessalonians 5. And I put up some verses here of, here, here's almost, on the tip end, we call this battle ready. And we're talking about like, okay, so what do I, if the, what do I do in that time leading up to the second coming? And that's what Paul's going to give us. So starting in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says this, where he says, verse 2, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord or the second coming cometh as a thief in the night. Um, verse 3, like a woman suddenly going, uh, her water breaks. <laughs> like it just <laughs> is like, it's just going to happen so quickly and take a lot of people off guard. But then he says this in verse four, but you brethren are not in darkness and that day should not overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. So essentially what he's saying is for most people, it will come as a surprise, but you are not left in the dark on this. You are children of the light. Most people are going to, children of the dark means like, what do you do in the dark? It's like you sleep. You, you're, you're, you're like not doing anything. The day's over. And he says, but that's not who you are. You're children of the light. You have things that you're doing. You have things that you are looking forward to. And I almost like that he rebrands the second coming as not a dark event, but an event of light. Well, even especially when you think about being afraid, no one's afraid of daytime. Yeah. Like every five-year-old is afraid of the dark. Super cool. Thought, you know, right? all of a sudden he's like, wait, wait, wait. You don't actually have to be scared of this. Yes. It's different. Yeah. Than you right. Think. So awesome. So you are children of light. You don't have to be afraid. This whole thing is going to be couched in, in a spirit of hope. If anyone's ever learned about the second coming and dreaded it at the end, somebody didn't teach it to you correctly. And that's what Paul's trying to do for these people, right? This is not something to be afraid of. Look at verse eight. You'll remember this from Ephesians. Um, Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The Greek in here, I was studying from a Bible scholar that putting on the breastplate, um, the way that it's written in Greek, it has this tone and idea of they were put on you. Mm. And I really love that look at this, what we, that um, armor, what do we call this again? The armor Armor of God, God. again, (laughs) that he put this on you. That you've been dressed in uh, faith and love and in the hope of salvation. Like he got he you ready. Got, yeah, he has gotten you ready for this. And then, oh, what were you going to well, say? Well, and it's so interesting to me because even the verse right after that is, it wants to say, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. And I think it's so interesting that he wants to say, listen, you are battle ready, but it's not going to be an angry fight. You mm-hmm. know, like you need to remember what kind of fight this is. Don't go into this with anger and like all like wrath, you know? Yeah. And he's like, this is a different kind of fight. Just be ready for that. Yeah. And just the idea is like, you were appointed unto wrath, meaning like it, th- God's not trying to destroy you. 
Yeah. He's trying to save you. His intention is not wrath. His intention is salvation. The second coming isn't coming because God's mad at you. He's coming to save. Yes. Right? For God so loved the world, he sent his son, right? Not to condemn the world, verse 17 says, we don't ever read that one, but to save the world, right? And so anytime he comes to the world, it's for the intention of salvation. That's his plan. Verse 10, in case you need a reminder of that, verse 10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together in him. Let's, let's remember who it is that's coming. The one who died for us, the one who laid everything on the line for us. His intention is that together with him, we live. That's, that's his hope. That's his plan. That's everything that he's, he's doing, right? Let's add to that list. Um, let's go over to 2 Thessalonians 2. This would be a great list to teach. I think if you were to say um, advice for those living on the eve of the second coming, right? They would just be like, and go through these verses together. And like, what are we learning about this? This would be a, that would be a cool way to study this. Okay. Second Thessalonians 2, when he writes that follow-up letter, he has to do this again, where he just says, Which you love that they're just like, wait, we're not sold yet. And he's like, it's okay. Yeah. Let me come back to it. Look at verse one, which I don't have on the board here. Um, These, by the way, remember you can screenshot this. We're trying to make sure we're out of the way so you can screenshot that. Or these are always in the app on the, on the PDF um, in case you want them, where he says in verse one, now, let me beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. I love that he's just saying, the second coming is actually a party, okay? It's supposed to be, <laughs> Let's what, start there. what do you gather together for? <laughs> you know, we're gathering together un, unto him. And he says in verse two, don't be shaken in your mind or troubled, you know? Uh, this, the intent, when you learn about these things, it shouldn't cause you to, you know, shiver, you know? <laughs> It shouldn't cause you to be worried. He says this in verse three. All right. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a fill in the blank first. And I think this would be a cool way to have, if you wrote that out and then said, what would you fill in the blank there? In this particular verse, he says a falling away. We use this verse to talk about, oh, there will be a falling away of the faith before he actually comes again. That's one thing that will happen. An increase of evil. That's one of the things that will happen. But this would be a great way to like go to other verses in scripture and say, what else will come first? And I would link that all together with verse five, because he says, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. We have prophecies. We have promises that we can study. We can read. We can watch and therefore be ready. I, I like that he encourages them and says, remember, I, I've, I've already... I warned you. I warned you. There's going to be warnings. There's going to be plenty of time. There's going to be... Um, you're going to be equipped with what it is that you need. Which is a cool thought. Again, when you go back to that, you're not in the dark. Almost. Yes. Yes. You know? Yeah. Okay. Verse six. I, this is awesome. And now you know that withholding that he might be revealed in his time. This is, again, talking about that man of sin, the opposition I just, I think that's really awesome that he says he's going to be revealed. He won't be in the dark anymore. A light is mm. going to be shined in the shadows. Like it's the, the most fearful enemy is the one you cannot see. You know, if you just imagine like, I've got this friend who goes on, on these hunting trips and sometimes it's like scary animals like lions or something, <laughs> you know, and he's just like, they're like hunting him and they don't know where they are. 
Like that's the scariest kind of enemy <laughs> is one who's like, you don't know where it is. And the Lord is saying, I will shine a big old bright light on the evil and the hidden danger and the wickedness. We just came away from a weekend of general conference. And one of the intentions is there is to shine a light, to let cool. things be seen as, as they really are. So don't worry. You're, you're, they're not gonna, it's not going to sneak up on you, right? He'll be revealed. Verse seven is awesome. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, right? We can see the evil is on its move. Only he who now letteth will let. God is in control. Any evil that's happening, any of what the devil is doing is because God is allowing it to happen to fulfill his purposes, right? And so he is actually in control. And then verse eight is so awesome where he just says, and then shall that wicked one be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Like with his breath, he is with a whisper, he's going to eliminate evil once and for all. And that that, it's just good to know that it's like, there's no, this is not a battle between the two forces of good and evil. It's not even a competition. There's no competition. The the decision is on where will I stand in in this? That's the decision. Not who's going to win is not up in the air. It's where I stand. That's what's up up in the air. And to know that's just like, oh, If all he has to do is breathe, you know, and look at it and we'll destroy with the brightness of his coming. Again, words like that, that are just like, look at the words that he uses to describe. And I think that's something even right now that we see so often is how many people want to describe the word always, the world always as dark. Mm -hmm. Oh, we live in such a dark time. Oh, this is such a, and I love that Paul enters into this conversation and he doesn't ever go there. He's like, yeah, no, listen, let me tell you what this is going to look like. And it's always bright. Yeah. That's a hopeful way of living. Right. Looking back to how he ends 2 Thessalonians 2, this word right here in verse 15, circle that word in your scriptures. Therefore, if you know all of this about God and what he's done to prepare you and what his intentions are and all the above here, therefore, verse 15, stand fast, hold the traditions which you have been taught whether by word or by our epistle. You've already been taught how to live through this. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, right? Uh, Feel consoled, feel hope, feel the strength of grace. That's who's coming. Exactly. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. Right, right. And in the meantime, you you are being loved, watched over, strengthened, that's the grace word, and given hope. So comfort your hearts and establish you in every good, um, in every good word and work. You've got work to do right here. And if I were to take the um the what okay, what's our work to do then? Right? Don't just run around like ah, but like, hey, you've got you can be established, you can be settled, you can be loved. You can be comforted. You can feel hope and encouragement. And then I love this verse right here that's going to take us through the rest of our sections. If you go over to 1 Thessalonians 3, connect maybe that last verse um, in 2 Thessalonians 2 over with 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. He just says this, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one to another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. It says, your first manner of business is to love well. In the meantime, number one, love well. 
And then verse 13, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. So love and holiness are our call until he comes again. Those two words. And it's such an echo to um, verses 15 and 17 in the other book that it just wants to be the word and work, right? Holiness and love people. Right. Let me help you figure this out. It's not complicated. Let me give you something to do in the meantime. Yeah. Don't worry. Everything's under control, right? Here's your here's your work in the meantime. So we're going to look at those two things as we as we look at the rest of the book. Until then, first love, and then second holiness. Um, I can't imagine. I really, actually, I'm going to stand with this. I'm going to say it right now, and I might take it back later, but I'm going to stand with it right now today. I do not know if you ever meet someone in Scripture who loves the people he's serving more than Paul. Mm. It's over and over and over, not just in these books, but like you see it through Acts, you see it everywhere. It's just like, there's moments, even just like slivers when you like, he like cries over them and he prays over them and he remembers their names. And it's almost like right now in, it's in First Thessalonians. Now you got me so scared with your tongue twister. <laughs> I'm like, I'm never gonna be able to say it. Um, in chapter two, he almost unpacks his pattern for loving people which to me, like when I read this, there was nothing I wanted to do more than actually deeply understand it. Because in my head, I was like, he actually knows something different about loving people than I do. Mm. I can tell mm. by the first, like all of these pages, right? That I'm just like, oh, all this whole second half of the New Testament, you realize he actually has figured something out about loving people that I wish I could do yeah. better, you mm. know? And he starts going through and he... All these, from like 7 to verse, all the way through this whole chapter, till um, verse 20 in chapter 2. This is 2, uh, two, first, 1 Thessalonians 2. Chapter 2. Okay. 7 Sorry. to 20. Perfect. Yes. And there's verbs in here and everything, but he starts out in verse 8, and you just can't even help but, like, this is the cutest thing in the whole world. And he just wants to say, listen, so being affectionately desirous of you, stop there, that's already a lesson. I'm like, Goodbye. <laughs> We were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only. We didn't actually just teach you, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Mm -hmm. He wants you to know, listen, I actually left part of my heart with you. You captured it. It is yours. I didn't just tell you my testimony. I actually gave you my heart. I'm going to leave it with you. Like You have a piece of me because of how much I love you. And then he goes through and in verses 9, even just through 13, you can see all these verbs that he's going to describe this type of love. He's like, listen, it was work. We labored day and night in verse 9, you see. If you go to verse 11, we exhorted, comforted, charged every one of you as a dad does his children. We were, we were going to give you everything we had. We would have worked all day to give you what you need. Yeah. We're going to love you that type of level, mm. you know? That is how we're going to show up. And all of a sudden you see it. Like you actually, and this one's so cute too. And then you add, 18. well, I think it'd be good to add with 11, that verse seven, even as a nurse chariot with her children or someone who's nursing their baby, a mother nursing their, like we took care of you with the same sort of level that a dad does and a mom does. Which almost you want to be like, that doesn't make sense because you didn't know us before, mm -hmm. you know? You came into this and your job was actually to teach. And he said, wait, 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 but that's not all we did. We were going to love you in a way that doesn't even make sense. 
And that's not all you're supposed to do, right? A minister, a teacher doesn't just impart knowledge, not at least a minister and teacher of the gospel. Like it's, it, their job is a different kind of job. It's asking a little bit more, yeah. you know? And it makes it me- It needs a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And the gospel, I just really think this, the gospel tastes sweeter with love, you know? Someone could write the gospel out to you and you'd be like, okay, yeah, I get it. I learned the gospel. But there's something about it that when you learn it like this, when you learn it from someone who loves you like this, it's just so different. Mm. And I love that he wants to explain that, that he's like, no, listen, I could have written you my testimony. Like I could have given that to you, but I'm not just going to do that. I'm actually going to give you part of my heart. You have to have that too. And it's so interesting because I think so often when we think about callings and jobs and life and teaching, it's so easy to just focus on that part of things. And he's like, wait a minute, no, no, no. You actually are gonna have to give something of you. You're gonna have to Mm. do a little bit more. And I remember the first time, it was right when ministering came out, like the idea switched from visiting, teaching to ministering. And I was talking to one of my friends about it. And I was um, kind of telling her, I was like, I just, like, I like this idea more, but like, what is it actually gonna look like? And how's it actually gonna work? And who's actually gonna do it? And we were kind of like having this discussion about it. And um, she was like, oh, no, no, no. She's like, I've seen this work. And I was like, what do you mean you've seen this work? And she was like, my minister, my freshman year of college came over on the very first night. And he was like, listen, let me tell you who I am. Like, they just like chatted, got to know each other. And then just like casually, he's like, so what do you like to eat? Like, what's your favorite treat? And she was like, oh, strawberry ice cream. And um, he was like, okay, cool. And then they just like finished their conversation and he left. And the next day she opened up her freezer and there was strawberry ice cream in the freezer Mm. and a little note that said, so when I'm not here, you can still remember that I've got your back. Oh my gosh. And I know, see, and then this is even the cuter part. Every single two weeks, there would be a new carton of strawberry ice cream in the freezer for her with the same note. And it just made me think like, oh, wait a minute. He actually wanted to prove to her that he was going to give a part of him. Mm. And whether that looked like moments when he couldn't show up and there was strawberry ice cream in the freezer or other moments when she actually knew she could go to him, he wasn't just going to like help her when she needed or when she called, but he actually wanted to say, no, I'm going to leave a part of me with you. Yeah. You know, even if it was just strawberry ice cream in the fridge, he's like, I'm going to give you something of me. I'm going to love you like that. Mm, that's awesome. I love the end of that First Thessalonians 2 where he says this, talking about the Lord coming. For he says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ as is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. I, when If you were to ask me, what are you most excited for when Jesus comes again? I would have a lot of answers for you. I think it's telling that if you asked Paul, he would say, oh, to see all of my friends together with Jesus. The best part of the second coming in Paul's mind is the other people who are going to be there. Like clearly it's Jesus coming also, right? But it's just like, I just love that it's like, you're our hope. You're actually our joy and you're our crown of rejoicing. It will not be heaven without any of you. And, and this is just that, that principle of in the meantime, and, but until then, Jesus is coming, but until then, take care of each other. Love them with your, with your own soul, be giving of your own soul. This next section kind of goes along with that a, a little bit more. 
I mean, also, I, there's this verse, and if you go to 1 Thessalonians 3, um, verse 10, this is what kind of starts this off, where he says, night and day, praying exceedingly, that we might see your face, where he's talking about, I wish we could come to you, and he says, and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. That part of love sometimes is looking out for people in this kind of way. To, to notice like, oh, there was, act, there was something lacking in your faith. Or I love some of the other translations of this. I wrote them in my journal here. Uh, let me see if I can find where I even put them. <laughs> it's like, I liked just, I was like, wait, what else, um, what else does that phrase even, even mean? Oh, okay. Um, we wanted to uh, supply that which was missing. Um, we wanted to beat help when your faith faltered. Those are some of the other ways of saying to perfect your, your faith. I found this um, quote, y'all. I'm so sorry that I do not know where. Oh, I do know. I just remembered. It comes from a man whose name is Fred Craddock. And he said this, Christians decide about faith for themselves, but not by themselves. That there's something that we love people, but we also discover our faith and we perfect our faith and we supply that which lacks, you know, as part of a Christian community. Sometimes, um, I, I remember in high school, um, walking down the hall one time and I was kind of in a little bit of trouble. There was a situation that I was kind of in a little bit of trouble with, with, you know, a group of friends. And to be frankly honest, I did not handle the situation super well. And I knew that. And I had a friend who was in my priest quorum who I was in the hallway in between classes. And then he happened to be in the same hallway and he came up and he said, David, I heard about the situation and I heard that this and this is happening. Is there anything I can do to help out with it? Mm. And he must have heard that I had kind of not responded the way I should have responded. And I just love that he was there to supply my want, right? To where I was lacking in perfection of my faith. Like he was there to like, like at first I felt super offended and called out. Really, I did. And, but then I like his sincerity won me over and, and, and he was in position to do that. And he understood this really well that I decided about my faith for myself, but not by myself. Which is brave of him. Really brave. Like if you, any high schooler, you know, that would be so scary. Right. To go up and do that. And I love that it's showing you, oh no, this actually is like going to be a little bit tough. Yeah. You're going to have to be brave. Yeah. And there's different, and there's probably good ways to do that and clumsy ways to do that. And I appreciate his clumsy way of, you know, of and it's okay it. that it's clumsy, right? Yeah. And here's a couple other verses that you might want to add into just this whole discussion here in chapter three, verse 12, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Uh, do you love that? The Lord make you to increase and abound in love that the, the motivation and the heart for it will actually come from him. If you skip over to chapter four, nine through 10, uh, these are awesome. He says this, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write it unto you, for you are taught of God to love one another. I don't need to show you how to do this. God will be the teacher of this. Um, for those of us who live with copies of the New Testament um, and other books of scripture, let God be the teacher of that. Let the Holy Spirit be the teacher of love. And he just says, and you indeed do it all towards your brethren, which are in all of men. Everyone knows about the way you love people, but I beseech you. I know you already love people, but look at this in 10 that you increase more and more. Mm. Don't you, that's just like a, he's like, oh, if you ever, you know, say, yes, I love well. Paul would come in and say like, 
Now double it, right? What, uh, put two cartons of strawberry ice cream in there, right? Um, this verse in 14 through 15, there was a concern among the Thessalonians that people who died were going to miss out on the second coming. It was just a misunderstanding of, of Scripture. And he just talked about the fact that if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For we say, nothing at the end of 15 shall prevent them which are asleep. And I love, next to 14 and 15, I have a little note that says, no one gets left behind. And Paul is teaching that to all the saints. Don't worry, no one is getting left behind. But I also see that as a commission. Mm. Don't leave anyone behind. And then this verse, which is, we were taught really well, um, from Lilo and Stitch every time I read that. Like, it's like, no, Ohana means family. No one gets left behind. That's immediately what I, I was thinking of. I was like, oh. And then in verse 18, uh, that we where we've seen this, comfort one another with these words. And they were the words of scripture. They were the words of truth. They were the words of hope. They were the words of love that he just said in verses 16 and, and 17. He was like, comfort other people with these kind of words. Love works. Hope works. Encouragement works. These are the kind of things that bring people strength and comfort. And I love that he just wants to, like, I think there's something so powerful in saying, oh, I get that this is a dark time. This is how you're going to get out of it. This is where the brightness comes from. Yeah, each other. Yeah. Each other. It's just right from you guys. All right, so love, right? Remember the two things that he said, right? In the meantime, Love really well. And then this other one, and then the other thing was, and holiness. Now that word holiness means to be, I think it's really important, to be set apart for a certain cause. Like that's what the word means. Usually when we say the word holiness, what comes to mind is, um, oh, don't, don't chew and lie and spit, you know, whatever, like act proper and do all of those things. And that's going to play into it. But let's start first with Holy means set aside and set apart for a particular cause. And whatever my, if I'm set, think of what cause you might be set apart for. If I'm, if I'm set aside to be a soldier, for example, I actually have to live and train in a certain way to fulfill that purpose and that cause. So when he says practice holiness, he was like, you're learning to take on that role that I have to give you. Like there's purpose in what I'm teaching you to do. And he wants to start out with that, right? He goes and in first, I can't even say this word ever, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter four, um, before he even begins like the deep dive into these rhythms of holiness, he actually wants to say, listen, you can't forget about this cause. You can think about holiness, but before you even begin that lifestyle, you actually need to have a reason. And in verses one through four, he's going to kind of unpack that. And um, I love that when you just read through it, you can see that all of a sudden he's like, listen, this is actually for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from all of these things, fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's three and four. That all of a sudden he's like, listen, Actually, the cause, your cause in this moment is becoming something more. Walk, and this is how you should walk and please God so you would abound more and more. This is who you could become. This is a journey. 
Right. And I think it's interesting. It's like become what for what cause? Like that would be a great, almost like a really cool fill in the blank first teaching a class. Like God wants me to become blank for blank. Like, what is it that I'm, do you remember that? So that word sanctification, like look at, um, look at verse three, for example, he says, this is the will of God, the hope of God, the intention of God, even your sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy and becoming more like him. He's just like, the will is that. So abstain from fornication. That's just one example. Well, like he's not just coming in out of the blue and he's just like, I actually want you to live morally clean lives. You know, he gave a why. I want you to be people of holiness because I want you to be people like me because I have something for you to do. Do you remember that talk that Elder Holland gave? And the end of the video is sanctify yourselves for tomorrow God will do wonders among you. And it's that story of the football team and it's the little league football team and they're out practicing and a lightning storm comes. And one of the boys is like struck by lightning or somewhere nearby him and his heart stops. And everyone gathers around and they start to do CPR and everything on him. And there was a boy who had just barely been ordained an elder in the Melchizedek priesthood. And he gave him a blessing right there on the field. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you that everything will be okay. And, and the boy begins to breathe miraculously right then. And, and it's interesting, and this, we will link this video um, so that you can use this in your teaching or with your family if you want. But the idea of it was, I needed you to be me in that, in, on that day, is what Jesus was saying. I needed someone I could trust, someone who could call down the powers of heaven for a particular situation. In that one, it was physical. And other times it's hopelessness or other spiritual. It's like, I, I need you to, to be the hope of the world and the light of the world. And I'm going to teach you the patterns and rhythms of holiness that will help you to be that. For what, right? I need you to be blank for what? I, I, someone's got to be my rescuer. Someone's got to be my strength. And, and I just love this why that it's not just like, hey, Live a holy life. Yeah, be better. Be, yeah. But he, can I tell you why? I, practice holiness because you have, you have a role to play here. The dance started, and I need you out on the dance floor. And let me train you and teach you um, how to, you don't have to be perfect at it, but like you can continually get better at this. And, and that's what I think this. And there's something so inviting to me about it. That it wants to be about your every day. Like, I think sometimes when we think of this idea of sanctification and becoming holy, that seems really far-fetched or like almost as if something that only happens when like you're in the temple or when you're taking the sacrament. And all of a sudden, Paul wants to break it down and he's going to give you a little list, but it makes me think that almost at the top, you just want to write like, oh, this is actually for the football field, you mm -hmm. know, and this is for your kitchen table. And this is for you at the grocery store. This is a way of doing every day. Yeah. And, you know? and we pulled that out of that word walk in for chapter four, verse yeah. one, where he's just like, your, your walk is like your daily walk, right? People even use that phrase. It's like your, it's your everyday life. It's, it's how you get around. It's here. Yeah. From here to the end of time is your walk. Like, so it's your, you know, as you move through. And I like how you were, how you were describing that. And um, this is, 
Uh, did we talk about this? No, yeah. not yet. Okay. This is the word sheet for the week that you can print out for everybody as you le- learn this. First of all, I would for sure teach the why before I ever taught rhythms of holiness. Yeah. I would always teach the why in conjunction with it, with that fill in the blank. Maybe the class can write that fill in the blank phrase up at the top, right? It's yeah. Like, you know, God wants, wants me, me to, become. to become blank for blank for like what purpose? And then you could use the rest of it. Um, we think as all around the edge are some of like the phrases you're going to find in First Thessalonians five eleven through twenty three, and it might be a cool spot to talk about. Okay, how am I going to live that particular rhythm of holiness out? What would that look like in my every day? And he gives you a good list. Like he's going to start the list for list. you, and you're going to die over it. It's that good. Like you can't even believe it. And it really starts, once you get to like verse 14, it just like starts coming over and over. There's a few before that, comfort yourselves together, edify one another. And then in 14, all of a sudden it's going to start going, warn them, comfort, support, be patient. Verse 15, follow that which is good. 16, rejoice. 17, pray. 18, give thanks. 19, quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesy, prophesyings. Whoa. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from the appearance of evil. And there's just this moment that he's just going to give you this list of like, this is every day. This could be your every day. And I love the idea of looking at that and then building your own every day, you know, and saying, okay, so what does that look like for me? Right. What does it look like to rejoice evermore? What does it look like to pray without seizing, you know? Yeah. And so we kind of put an example. That one was mine. So one of the ways I like to rejoice evermore, taking this rhythm of holiness is I play praise music on my way places in the car. Like I just have a list that I just play it and it's my way to just like, oh, just have that kind of, and, and that could be cool to like think through that for yourself, but also teach, okay, what does that look like on a Tuesday to quench not the spirit, you know, what, or, or what's it look like to despise not the prophesyings, you know? And it's cute because that really could be the coolest discussion ever. That all of a sudden you're going to sit there and you're going to be like, okay, so what does it look like to pray without ceasing? Yeah. And for one person, that's going to mean like pray four times a day, right? Or they're just like, I want to pray in my everyday, like all throughout the day. And one person is going to be, oh, I want to have a prayer that's a little bit longer. For me, right when I read that, I thought about a time in my life that I decided my, I just wasn't really good at praying. I just wasn't good at praying in general. I'll just be a hundred percent honest. And it just like, that was a bad habit. I just couldn't get into the yeah. habit. And what I started doing is I just start my prayer in the morning. Like I'd get down on my knees and I'd start it. And I would just never say amen all day. And then randomly throughout the day, I would just have these thoughts that I was just like, oh, let me add that to my prayer. And then at the end of the day, I would get on my knees again. And that would be my amen. And there was just these, it was one of the most special times in my life because it felt like I was on a phone call with God all day. Mm. You know, there was just what like, did oh, President hey. Nelson just call it a, a living discussion? Yes. In his talk? Yes. Is that the I don't phrase. know if that was the phrase, but I just, I remember was, when I yeah. heard it and I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he, that was such an awesome way to say it. That he gets to be in your everyday, right. you know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all these, you can just go through and there's these moments that you're just like, oh, this actually is the walk with God. This is the sanctification. It's the journey. It's the everyday. It's the middle. Right. You know? Right. And these are all, I love in 23 where he says, and the very God of peace sanctifieth you holy. I'm not sanctifying myself. We see these as ways to bring in the spirit of sanctification, to bring God and his power that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, remember with the cookies, right? It's like, I can't do it, but I can put myself into 
rhythms and habits where the very presence of God is is with me. I loved when President Irene taught just barely in general conference that if you have felt the presence of the Holy Ghost this day, you can take it as evidence that the atonement of Jesus Christ is working in your life. And and the one of the roles of the atonement of Christ is to sanctify us, is to turn us into holy people. And and it, and the the Holy Spirit is that messenger of grace. He is the one that comes in and does it. So these rhythms invite the Spirit to to do that for us. And this would be a great personal thing or obviously hand it out in a class and people can kind of write like, what are the ways that, that other people might do this and get ideas from them? It could be a cool um, activity together. And just such a cool end for a class discussion like that of saying, okay, wait, this, your actions aren't actually what's changing you. It's him. Yes. It's him who's changing you. Yeah. That's the big picture. Right. And He's got it. Right. There's rhythms of inviting him is, is really what, what they are. And we just want to end with one more rhythm of holiness that was back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. And we're going to link it together with these um, last verses. Uh, P.S., if you, if you have the journal and you're answering the questions, you're going, to, um, you're going to notice that they're a little bit out of order this week. Um, we went question four. <laughs> Then we did one, two, three, and then five. <laughs> but you'll, you'll catch on as you as you see it. But here in this yeah, in these verses right here, eleven through thirteen, where he says this phrase, and that you study to be quiet. And that is a lost art in our world today, the uh, quietness. And how interesting, study to be quiet, to find, to separate ourselves from the noise and busyness of the world. In order that you know we can we can think more clearly about our cause and 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 what we're doing, how we're spending our days, what or who is influencing us. There's something about that study to be quiet, so that you are. Am I on the right course? And are my purposes, you know, um, what I want them to be? And I, I love that idea of there and, and the promise in 12 that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of, of, of nothing. Um, let's link that together with 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 to kind of end this, um, where there's just kind of a, a little opposites that he puts out where he says, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Your daily walk could be a walk of, of disorder. It could have no purpose. It could have no um, uh, holiness to it. Working not at all, but our busybodies. And there's just that word that's just like busybody makes you feel like just this like chicken with his head cut off type of thing. Like, you know, yeah. where you're just like. All over the place. Yeah, all over the place and aimless. Verses 12, verse 12 now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work. That The question in the journal is, what's the difference between being a busybody to bustle about, to work all around, um, or somebody with this quiet confidence? Somebody who's not in this fear and, and I don't want to miss out and, and all of this, but steady and secure and solid in what they believe and what they know and what they're 
purpose is and who they're following and why they're following him. There's just something about that that's like, it's like a, it's deep water, you know? Well, and I love, I didn't even think about this earlier, but I love the idea, like when you think about any of those things, they have no idea what they're doing. They are just working, right? Like they're just going. Like a chicken with his head cut off is just going wherever he's going to possibly go. Yeah. And I love that that quietness can actually come from guidance. Like, oh, you actually can be guided in where to work and it's going to be more effective. Yeah. Then you're just trying to go everywhere and do everything. If you're actually guided by someone, it might be a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, President Nelson in his talking conference said um, something, I can't remember, it takes the mystery out of the future. And there'd mm. be something about that, just being secure. And, and and a second ago, I said, like, it's deep water. And I was like, why would I even thought that? And it, I'm thinking about, like, the beach. Where, like, when you're in the shallow water, the waves are, like, tumbling. Mm. And one of the things that you, like, teach when you go boogie boarding or surfing is like, get past the first break. Don't be in that shallow spot. Go into the deeper water, right? Where you're not in this tumble of things. And and there's something about that rhythm of holiness I really appreciate is to be intentional. So take time to be intentional about the life that I'm living. It reminds me of Walden Pond. Who was that? Um, The guy who spent time... Anyone who's watching, you don't have to DM me. I'll look it up right after you. <laughs> no, 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 I don't even know. I don't even know. Um, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, uh, now it's gonna, is it Thoreau that you guys said? It's like, I know who, those of you who are watching who know this so well, and you're just like, eh, I'm telling you. Like, um, oh my gosh, why is that just totally um, left my mind? Okay. I'm so, oh yeah, it's Thoreau, you guys, Henry David Thoreau, who lived at Walden Pond. Um, He said this about going, he went out there for a couple of years and he said, I went to the woods that I might live deliberately. Mm. Like I took the quiet time so that I could live the rest of my life deliberately. And I really appreciate that. And we love at the very end of that chapter, 2 Thessalonians 3, this verse that becomes the name of the week for Jesus and I'm really excited to hang up this particular word and poster. We call our, Grace is laughing because we, our nickname for Jack in our house is The Peace. Like, <laughs> it's a long story how we got that. And so it's like, oh, when it came, our it's boy like, just left on his mission. Home. He gets to be home for a minute on the wall. But this name for Jesus, this word peace is like so fitting for this that I'm just like, oh, he brings me that confidence. Mm. He brings me that hope. He brings me that security, like I'm, I'm anchored, right? Like things will still be wild around me, but I am anchored in who I am, whose I am, and what my purpose mm. is. And this verse I want on my wall, I, I'm, I'm tempted to not hang up the rest of the weeks of the year with these posters <laughs> Because Just of, for this one yeah, how much I love this one. The second Thessalonians 3.16, it says, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace, always by all means. And um, that's where it comes from. That's where my identity and my purpose come from. From the Lord of peace himself, from him himself, who will always by all means seek for that for me work for that for me uh the lord be with you all is what no one's excluded no one gets left behind in this and the greek for this 
is, I don't know how to say that word, Irene, <laughs> right? Prosperity, oneness, quietness, rest. Look at this one. Set at one again to join or bind together that which has been separated. So if I found myself as this bit like busybodiness, the, the Lord of peace will reconcile us to our identity, to our purpose, and more importantly, to our God. And there is something about that that my soul like longs for and yearns for. And it's the, it's, it's the hope and intention of this, of this whole, of these letters, you know, to them. The second coming can be this like crazy, fearful, like, ah, like everything's out of control in this world, erratic and which idea is best. Or it can be a hopeful waiting, you know, and purpose until then. We have a friend, Nish, who we just love dearly. And you've heard us talk about her. And maybe you've heard the story that she, when she became a Christian, um, she converted to Christianity in, in high school. And in her particular church, they assigned you a spiritual mentor when you were baptized. And she was assigned this older woman whose name was Nancy. Um, and she would go to her house on Thursdays. And she would teach her, this is how you pray. This is what we believe. This is how you study scripture. This is doing everything that we talked about in sections two and three. Of, living that. Of, yeah, living that. And she said every time she would go on Thursday, the door would be unlocked and opened. Um, There's a lesson in that. <laughs> and uh, she would come in and Nancy would be standing at the window in the early morning with her mug watching the sunrise. And she would say two words when Nish would walk in maybe today. And she was talking about the coming of the Lord. And she was looking forward to it with hope and with encouragement, with anticipation. But until then, she would love well and abound more and more. And she would give of her soul to Nish. And she would engage in rhythms of holiness. And she would find that quiet confidence that comes from only the Lord of who will bring peace by any means he can. Always. That's who's on the way. That's who's on the way. Amen. All right. We'll see y'all next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.